Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about a whole bunch of Christmas-related words. Condoing, decluttering has become all the rage. But languages are hoarders that hang on to every bit of used clothing, threadbare cushion, or musty old piece of luggage. I mean, you never know. These might be useful one day. Christmas is a great reminder of how important it is to hang on to some old stuff. Decorations stowed in closets, dusty words lingering in our brains. At Christmas, we drag out boxes of tinsel, baubles, and fairy lights, but we also trot out words, meanings, and even grammar that we stopped using in our everyday language long ago. So let's unpack this dusty box of Christmas lexical curiosities. We'll toll tolls, blaze yules, graze mules, and then finish with a Christmas cracker of a linguistic joke. It's no worse than any other you'll hear this holiday season. Untangling and dusting off these lexical curiosities, like those Christmas lights we haphazardly stowed the year before, takes some work. We needn't go further than the lyrics of our favorite Christmas carols to see it. For example, the puzzling line in Deck the Halls that instructs us to troll the ancient Yuletide carol. Trolls sound scary. If they're not leaving offensive messages on the internet, they're giants living in Tolkien's Middle Earth. But the gentle trolling we do at Christmas has a different French origin. It entered English in the 14th century, meaning to stroll. But taking a few twists and turns, as words can do, it eventually arrived at another meaning, to sing merrily in full voice. Think of those rousing trolley lollies. The references to Yuletide and the blazing Yule before us are equally bewildering. Tide here has nothing to do with flows of water, but preserves the original meaning season or time. Yule, like tide, is one of the oldest English Christmas words, 8th century, but its meaning has shifted dramatically from the original name for December or January, and presumably the pagan festivals around then, its meaning morphed into Christmas tide a century later. The opening line of the carol, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, also dusts off the cobwebs of some linguistic junk. Basically, it's a good wish and means something like happiness to you gentlemen. It doesn't help that the verb rest here has nothing to do with relaxing, but means keep. What's more, it appears in a grammatical form that no longer exists. The old subjunctive signaled non-real events, such as wishing. This job is now done by other verbs, like may. So a modern version would be, may God keep you merry, gentlemen. 
But even Mary isn't terribly common these days. Putting aside euphemistic references to alcohol-induced states of cheerfulness, we usually only encounter Mary in carol lyrics like this one, and of course in the expression Merry Christmas, and perhaps also Robin Hood's Band of Merry Men. Whenever untangling and dusting off our Christmas curiosities gets too hard, we can turn the task over to kids. They often refashion these yuletide curiosities into something that seems a bit more reasonable. Tolling the yuletide carol has a much jollier image than trolling it, and get dressed, you married gentlemen, would seem like good advice. Certainly a grazing mule before us makes a lot more sense than a blazing yule, but it probably wasn't children who decked the halls with Buddy Holly. In fact, adults are responsible for a lot of remodeled Christmas expressions, and they've been doing it for centuries. Look at mistletoe. It has absolutely nothing to do with toes, though this seems quite reasonable when you look at the plant, especially hanging as decoration. In fact, mistletoe grew out of mistletoe, the plant name combined with the earlier ton twig. And despite their appearance, reindeer have nothing to do with reins, harnesses. Reindeer was the original Viking word for this animal, hrein, H-R-I-E-N-N, combined with deer, which simply meant creature. So reindeer was one of those redundant compounds like oak tree. Words we've purloined from other languages are especially prone to these linguistic makeovers. Look what we've done to Kris Kringle. It's come a mighty long way from the German dialect word Christkindl, meaning Christ child. We sometimes find a cracked bauble or two in our box of lexical curiosities, but we're loath to toss them out. We just keep using them or find new uses for them. Plum puddings don't have plums in them anymore. The dried plums were replaced by raisins, but we kept the name. As foodie John Ito describes, traditional Christmas fare had all sorts of plum dishes, even plum broth and plum porridge. Occasionally, modern plum puddings become plump puddings. Time will tell whether that catches on. So what about Boxing Day with no boxes, unless you've been to these post-Christmas sales? In the 17th century, Christmas boxes were earthenware containers taken around on the first weekday after Christmas. The purpose was to collect money for the workers, and like piggy banks, they were then broken and the money distributed. Clearly, the events around this seasonal payment have changed dramatically, and box now refers to a day, not a container. The day has shifted to and fixed on December 26th. Our box of Christmas curiosities is overflowing, but we refuse to condo any of it. We so want to dazzle you with stories about Hark, a wassailing, Noel, even the unappetizing though intriguing historical links between the words pudding and botulism. But instead, we ask you to pull on the end of our Christmas cracker and share in a deggy linguistic joke. What do we call Santa's little helpers? Subordinate clauses. We wish you a conjubilant holiday, meaning one filled with good cheer, but most especially the good cheer that comes from being in the company of others. That segment was written by Kate Burridge and Howard Manns, professor of linguistics and senior lecturer in linguistics, respectively, both at Monash University. 
And that segment is republished from the conversation under a Creative Commons license. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grammar Girl today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Grammar Girl. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. I know most people learn a new language because they want to travel. And I'm sure a lot of you do too. But I also bet a lot of you are like me and just think languages are cool in general. I love learning Spanish just to learn more about a new language and more about my own language and the words that are related. But no matter why you want to learn a new language, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. With Rosetta Stone, you can choose from 25 different languages, Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and can be used on desktop or as an app, with the ability to download lessons offline. So don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off today at rosettastone.com slash grammar. And of course, I couldn't let go of those four teasers at the end, so I did some research myself. The words for pudding and botulism are connected because pudding was originally not the sweet, creamy concoction we get from the same people who make jello. It actually wasn't a custard-like treat until 1896, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. For much, much longer, from the 1300s, pudding was a kind of sausage. Adam Online says one possible origin of the word pudding is from the French word boudin, which means sausage. 
The B somehow became a P, and voila, you get a word that sounds a lot like pudding. Botulism, which today refers to sickness from any food that wasn't properly preserved, was first noticed after people ate, you guessed it, bad sausage. And the word botulism comes from the same Latin root, botulus, that gave the French the word bodon, which probably gave us the word pudding. So that's how the word pudding and botulism are related. Noel came from a Latin word that meant to be born and also gives us the word natal, as in the neonatal ward at a hospital, and nativity, as in the nativity scene. Noel became associated with Christmas because of the idea that that was the day Jesus was born. And going back to the 1300s, it was also a name given to people born or baptized on Christmas Day. Hark, isn't that interesting? It comes from an old English word that meant to listen. But wassailing is lots of fun. The only place you're likely to hear it now is in the Christmas carol, Here We Come Wassailing Among the Leaves So Green. Well, the hail part goes back to Old Norse that meant healthy or to be healthy. And in Old English, Wes was a form of the verb to be. So Wes Hall meant be healthy. And it was something you said to someone when you gave them a drink or toasted them. You'd say, wassail, meaning something like, to your health. And then the standard, courteous, customary reply was drink hail, meaning drink good health or good luck. It was a call and response, wassail, drink hail. And then the Old Norse also had sit hail, which meant sit in good health. And then from there, from wassail, drink hail, it wasn't a huge leap for the drink itself that was offered in good health to start being called wassail. And the OED says it seems the name was particularly applied to spiced ale used in Twelfth Night and Christmas Eve celebrations throughout the 1600s, during which people were said to drink from the wassail bowl or the wassail bowl. So that seems to be the first association with Christmas. Shakespeare has the first citation that uses wassail to mean carousing or reveling, and then in the earlier mid-1600s, it was first used to actually describe a song or carol. For example, there's a book from around 1650 titled New Christmas Carols, Carol for the Wassail Bowl, and it includes the line, Good dame, here at your door our wassail we begin. So those carolers probably had drinks with them. And then Edam Online says it was 1742 that wassailing came to mean the custom of going caroling house to house at Christmas time. The earliest record of the Christmas carol we still hear, Here We Come a Wassailing, is from the mid 1800s, but people seem to think it's probably a lot older than that. So the next time I serve Christmas drinks, I'm going to deliver them with a wassail and encourage my guests to reply with drink hail. And then, when I was researching wassailing and went down the rabbit hole of Twelfth Night, I learned that the 12 days of Christmas are not the 12 days leading up to Christmas, but are instead the 12 days starting on Christmas and going to January 5th or 6th, depending on how you count. 
So this blew my mind. So I asked a bunch of my friends and family if they knew this and was pretty relieved that most of them didn't because I was worried that maybe I was the only one who didn't know. Only two people knew for sure, and one of them works for a large international corporation and tells me this 12-day period is a bigger deal in Europe than it is in the United States, and that sometimes she can't schedule meetings with people on January 6th because it's a Christian religious holiday, Epiphany, also sometimes called Three Kings Day because it's the day the three wise men are said to have visited Jesus. So that's why she knew. Other people speculate that Americans often think the 12 days of Christmas are the days running up to Christmas because the holiday has become so commercialized here that we're exposed to many, many ads before Christmas that use the idea of the 12 days of Christmas to encourage us to buy gifts. So because I was surprised to learn this and it seemed like most of my friends and family didn't know either, I wanted to give you a heads up too. Oh, and apparently, tradition says it's fine to keep your Christmas decorations up until the last day of Christmas, January 6th, also called Twelfth Night, like in the Shakespeare play, which was probably commissioned by Queen Elizabeth I to be performed on Twelfth Night. But it's bad luck to keep your Christmas decorations up longer than that. Finally, I have a family story from Kiwi. Hi, Mignon. This is Kiwi from Connecticut. I discovered your podcast this year and have enjoyed it a lot. I'm very grateful that there's so many episodes to listen to. My family story is, when my son was four, he loved having instant chicken noodle soup. Also, he loved watching the Nightmare Before Christmas movie. There is where both collided. He noticed the character Sally preparing a soup for the mad scientist, where she added an ingredient called frog's breath. After that, when he wanted chicken noodle soup, he asked for frog's breath. It stuck, and that's how we call it now. Thanks for the podcast. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you, Kiwi. We love that movie too. And when we moved a few years ago, we were absolutely delighted to discover that one of our new neighbors seemed to love it too, because they went all out with the most elaborate Nightmare Before Christmas decorations I've ever seen for Halloween. We loved walking by their house. If you want to share the story of your familect, a family dialect, or a word your family and only your family uses, call the voicemail line at 83-321-4-GIRL, and I might play it on the show. Be sure to tell me the story behind your word or phrase and call from a quiet place. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sims, and my editor, Adam Cecil. Our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our intern is Cameron Lacey, who collects vinyl records. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, 
trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 